One definition of empathy is this, the ability to understand and share the feelings of another. When I think back to some of the hardest moments in my life, a common thread has been that somebody did not understand me, that they didn't share the feelings that I was experiencing. There is this sense of being misunderstood and loneliness, and it made the hardship feel even heavier. Today's guest, Tracy, has experienced many moments of empathy not being shown to her, of being in hardship and feeling the weight and the loneliness. And yet she knows that she has never been fully alone because God has been with her. And the wisdom that her faith has brought her is going to encourage you today. Depending on what you're experiencing, this episode may encourage you that you aren't alone, or it may challenge you in what it means to show empathy for others. Because what you'll learn is this, no matter who you are, we are all invited to empathy. So how do we get there? You're listening to episode 98 of the Where Did You See God podcast. Father God, I just want to thank you that you are God and you are good. And I just thank you for working out this time and space for Tracy and I to come together and just to talk about who you are, talk about what you've done, and really to talk about things that we may not even know where the conversation will go. And so we invite you to take this conversation wherever. We're ready, we're willing, so guide our thoughts, guide our minds, guide our hearts. We pray that not only would we experience you in this, but anybody hears it, it just would get a clear sense that you very much had a hand in what was said and where things went, because we believe that there's something you want to say. All this we pray in your most holy and precious name. Amen. Amen. So Tracy, it's really good to see you, and I'm really excited to have a conversation with you. And the way I always kick in is I want to give guests a chance to briefly and in a fun way share who they are. And the fun way piece comes from me coming up with some random prompt. And this is one of those times where I was about to start the prayer and I'm like, oh no, I have nothing. (laughs) But here's the random thing that popped in my head. Let's say I'm watching TV and I'm ready during the commercial breaks to go and get some snacks or some water or something like that. But occasionally a commercial will come on that really catches my attention. And let's say you've decided that you want to do a commercial to introduce yourself to the world. Of course, you want to do it in a way that engages the people, but also you don't have a lot of time for a commercial unless you want to pay a lot of money. (laughs) So in a short amount of time, an engaging way, you have to tell us who you are. So my show just went to commercial break. I need to get some water, but you pop on screen. What do I hear when it comes on that keeps me sitting on the sofa? Wait. Don't go. That's a high (laughs) calorie incident you're going to have. Instead, talk to Tracy. (laughs) She's here to tell you all about the wonderful things going on. And you can't miss it because there might be a test afterwards when you come back. (laughs) (laughs) I love it. See, I I stayed. I stayed. I didn't go get any water. I'm here. I don't know much about you, but when I looked through your profile, there were so many things in there that I'm like, there's a conversation, there's a conversation, there's a conversation. And so what I want to do is actually, (laughs) here's what I love. Before we started recording, you even mentioned about just how the spirit works, right? Right. And so I want to kick it to the spirit (laughs) and ask you this, when you've been thinking about this conversation, Mm -hmm. when you've been thinking about this topic of healing that I've been in the midst of in my podcast, What has the spirit been bringing up within you? 
the spirit, man, it's so complex. Like my brain can be on steroids sometimes. <laughs> and I feel like the spirit knows that. And so it's like, here, 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 here's some more, here's some more, here's some more. Here you go. Wow. Catch that, catch that. So what it reveals to me where I am right now is just really gathering everything, you know, gathering things for my writing, gathering things for, you know, ointment and medicinal. We're in the midst of the beginning of a brand new year. And all of the things that you want to do for the year, obviously you can't do without God. You know, you make your plans and God laughs. Right now, I feel crazy all over the place, but I know that I'm getting a lot of stuff in so I can begin to filter out things. You know, I have so many goals so many plans and really trying to do a lot more prayer, a lot more discernment in order to really filter through how my year, like I joke that my year doesn't start till March mm -hmm. because that's when I actually feel better. And that's when the fog of the winter, which I hate, starts to lift. I'm in Virginia and we're with our like fourth snow. Yep. I'm like, please stop. Yep. You know, are you done yet? Just kind of pushing everything that I could possibly do, dabbling into different things. Yesterday, I felt like the spirit said, go back on Clubhouse. And I found a Bible study that started the day that I came back on. Hmm. And so I just feel like if I'm just open and sucking it all in and it's all hitting me, I am supposed to be filtering what I really want to do. What is God really saying and really come to the core thing? in just a few more weeks. And I felt a little discombobulated at the end of the year because I was so hard at work on the book that came out on January 7th that I didn't plan as much as I usually do. And I'm like, okay with that. Like I never would have been okay in the past mm -hmm. and I'm okay. I never would have been okay with not being settled, mm. but I know that, you know, God's just like, you want this? Do you want this? How about this? You know, what can you handle? Take it in, use it. And then we'll start filtering probably next month. And then by March, which you have said, you know, over several years is your new year. We will be set with what we're doing. Yeah. Well, and that's a good picture too, even of life more broadly, right? We have all these ideas of what we want to do first and mm -hmm. foremost, and also what we need to do. And then, oh yeah, what, what God wants me to do. And we're right. looking at all these, and then we're looking ahead and we're seeing all the obstacles or we're seeing all the work that has to go into it, or we're wrestling with all the doubts. And then it's all becoming muddied and fogged. And then you get these extraneous things like snowstorms. I'm in Virginia too. <laughs> mm -hmm. I'm watching the weather because I got to pick up a child and I'm like, I'm hoping that it doesn't start snowing too. Right? It's like, and that can interrupt plans. My whole week was interrupted by things and the things I needed to do. And then it starts to weigh on you. The stress starts to take a life of its own and it becomes so much. And so when you think more broadly in life, mm -hmm. like I know parts of your story have included many of those elements and some particularly hard elements that have taken what one would hope to be a simple journey of figure out what you want and you need and go get it to now you have had throughout your life to sit with, but I don't know how to do that or I know how to do it, but there are barriers to doing that. So tell me a little bit about that. How have you seen what you've just described played out on the bigger part of your life? I think that just knowing that it would eventually work out and trying to relax a little bit around that, you know, and even going in the midst of things. What I've noticed about, you know, my life and a pattern is that things go well in so many sectors. And there's this one constant thing that is not going to go well. 
that will always be a little bit of a hindrance, kind of like the monkey on your back throughout your entire life. And once you kind of accept that, it just feels better. Like I will go ahead and accept that things are going to go well with book writing, with my clients that I work with to help them write their books, but probably things around my disability and illness those will always be something that I struggle with. Mm -hmm. Sometimes I have to tick off the days that I'm not sick or I'm not in the hospital this Christmas and just really realize that you're going to get so much, but you're going to have to deal with something in a kind of constant. You can't ever really get rid of it. And I feel like if you got rid of it, then where would your relationship be with God? Because there's this constant codependence that you're just going to have to say, you know, I need the always, you know, and just to help me with these parts, really, he's going to help you with everything. And that's the problem too, is that we don't permit him to help us with everything. We're just like, oh, just stay over here with this monkey and just help me with that. But he will help you with all of the things and you have to really let him into all of the things. But once you understand that there's always going to be a little bit of strife in certain sectors and they change, they change, you know, every year. They change something different, every every month sometimes. But once you realize that, I think people will be much happier and they can be much more productive and they can compensate for those things and maybe even spend a little bit more time with God dealing with those issues. Yeah. Everything you've said, I've agreed with. And it's also the type of thing where somebody listening who's in a hard place can hear it mm-hmm. and say... Well, that's all great for you to say, but you don't know what I'm going through. You don't know what I've experienced. And they could have been thinking that up to a point, what you're sharing. But then there is a point where you mention that you've in your life had to work through disability, work through illness. Mm -hmm. And I feel like that could have been a moment for someone who was thinking like, well, you don't know how hard and something like, oh, wait, maybe she does. Mm -hmm. So When you mentioned disability, when you mentioned illness, how has that impacted your life, played a role in your life? What does that look like? What that looks like is just, you know, going up against different barriers. And some of them are honestly people with attitudes that I feel have presented unnecessary barriers for me. You know, and it wasn't unnecessary. Like I can come to that realization now that it wasn't unnecessary. It was there to teach me something. What I also think people should realize is once you realize you are not exempt, you know, when people say, why me? I have that same thought. And then I tell myself, why not you? I got that from kind of a Joyce Meyer thing I was listening to one day. Mm -hmm. She said, you know, you're going around talking about why me, why me? And then you have to say, why not you? Yeah. You know, why do you feel you're exempt from certain experiences? Mm -hmm. You know, and you are the best candidate. You know, I added that because you can bear it. Yeah. You know, with God's help, you can bear it. So why not you? You are not exempt. You're not so special that you should not have to withstand these trials and tribulations of this world at this time. So why not you? Yeah. You know, one of my nephews committed suicide mm. at 19. I'm sorry. Yeah, it was really bad. And I just thought, You know, every family has some sort of tragedy that they must deal with. People have addictions. People make bad choices. That is still a choice that somebody made. So why wouldn't your family go through a certain tragedy? Like that seems like the worst of the worst. But whatever people bear is their worst. 
of the worst. Mm-hmm. And so it's kind of like, why not you? You are not exempt from tragedy and from things that are going to happen. Yeah. And as hard as that is to accept, you have to accept it. There is really nothing you can do. And you can choose to wallow in that and then you become depressed and you start this downward spiral or you can choose to kind of go into the light, you know, with God and and make it through Mm -hmm. these tests. Yeah. And everybody has a choice and you see people that make choices. That's what they think that they can do. And they go down those roads. Yeah. When I told myself I am not exempt, my family is not exempt. It actually became much easier to bear. Mm-hmm. because one, it got me outside myself to look at other ways to cope with something. And it let me realize that sharing and talking make a huge difference. Yeah. If we can talk about these things, if we can process these tragedies, you know, I'm not the only person with a disability. If I can share with other people with disabilities how to get through some things, mm-hmm. I lived through that. God didn't put you and help you live through something for you to keep it. Yeah, You know, evangelizing is about sharing. So it's important to really understand that. And you can be much more optimistic and have, I have a really good, happy life. I feel good in myself and in my brain. And that is because I've went ahead and accepted the things that I cannot change. I can't do anything with this. Yeah. A verse that just keeps on coming up, but one of the things you said really hits on it is Philippians 4, 11 through 13, where Paul says, I'm not saying this because I'm in need, for I've learned to be content whatever the circumstances. Mm -hmm. I know what it is to be in need, and I know what it is to have plenty. I've learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, Mm -hmm. whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. I can do all this through him who gives me strength. And what I love about that and what you said emphasized something that I think I don't notice as often is that we can come into our relationship with God with the assumption that if we are seeking God, then there are certain things that we'll never have to deal with. But Paul doesn't say here, hey, because of my relationship with God, I have never gone without food because he could have made a case for it, right? He knew the scripture. So he could have said, well, yeah, I Of course, I would never go without food because God provided manna for the Israelites. So God could create food out of nowhere. He gave Elijah food from ravens or oil that just kept renewing itself. So God can feed me. So I will never have to go hungry again. But what Paul says here is there could be situations in which God allows me to be hungry, Mm -hmm. that God doesn't make the manna appear, that God allows me to be in need. So what you're saying is so important that we by default want to exempt ourselves because we really hope that we don't have to go through hardship. But like you said, when we accept the reality that in this world we will have trouble, then it shifts from a resistance at all costs to a, well, if this is going to happen, who am I going to be in the midst? Something else you mentioned about talking with people and walking with people through, that was the other thing that really stood out to me about your profile, Mm -hmm. is that because of your experience with disability and illness and obstacles you've faced and challenges you've had to navigate, you didn't just figure out how to get through those. God then positioned you where now you're saying, okay, now I want to help others get through that. And you're doing so in an interesting way because you mentioned at one point that you want to come alongside young folks and their parents Mm -hmm. to help them know how to keep on going. 
Right. And what you're essentially saying is there is a chance that the hardships will continue, that the challenges will still be there. So here's how we're going to walk through that, right? So tell me more about that, how God has used your life, your story, your experience to equip you to comfort others with the comfort you've received, to mourn with those who mourn, to disciple others, to walk with others. Mm-hmm. You know, I have been to counseling probably in my late 20s, early 30s. And one of the things that my counselor told me is my deep empathy for people. Mm -hmm. You know, certain speakers that I've been listening to have been, you know, kind of touting the fact that we're at an empathy deficit. Mm -hmm. We lack an ability to understand the needs of others. And this is what creates such animosity and resentment for people. One of the things, and I don't want to get political, but one of the issues I see with mass shooters and, you know, people that commit mass murder, it is horrifying. You know, I have never been through something like that. But what I will say is that nicks in that person's spirit, their ability to be resilient and their ability to handle tough emotions keep getting turned inward and kind of shunned by others through bullying, through their lack of self-esteem, really kind of turns people into this. And I know other people will experience bullying. Well, I didn't kill everybody. Mm -hmm. I understand that. But all of these little things that we do to one another cause a reaction. And if we would just take a little more time and attention and listening with others, we could probably quell some of that violence Mm -hmm. and their lack of an ability to deal with emotions. There's always something that happened, something that precursored the event. And everybody who knows that person probably had a little thought about, could I be nicer? Could I be kinder? Could I have been better in order to mitigate this fallout? What I'll say about coming alongside parents is that everybody's looking for someone who's already been through stuff. You know, you mentioned your verse, and I'll just say that in uh, Hebrews 10, 25, it says, not forsaking the assembly of ourselves together as a manner of some is, but exhorting one another and so much the more as you see the day approaching. What that means, at least for me, is let's get together and let's talk to each other on a regular basis, you know, often and encouraging one another. There's also confessing your faults one to another. Your fault could be, I'm having a hard time with this. I mean, I'm belligerent about my situation. I need help. Mm -hmm. And so that's what I want really is just to come together more often with people and help them through, not just me. Yes, I've learned a lot. I have a lot of resources. I pride myself on my resourcefulness. And that's what people call me, like such, so resourceful, Mm -hmm. because I shared with them something they may not have thought of. That's really what it's about, is the sharing. Uh, Sharing is caring. Like that is a true thing. Somebody made that up, but that is so true. If you share about something you've learned, then you care about my situation, about what I'm going through, and you want to help me get through too. Yeah. You know, there's moments sometimes in a conversation where I feel like God just puts a big spotlight on a thing. There's something you said that the spotlight came on. Mm -hmm. 
the light was starting to warm up when you talked about the empathy piece that was noticed in you by the counselor, that they recognize that you just care for people, you see things in people. And that resonated with me. You know, one thing I've shared often is about the APEST gifts, the A-P-E-S-T, Apostle, Prophet, Evangelist, Shepherd, Teacher, these giftings that, you know, God gives us as as way to make him more known, to serve him more deeply. And I fall really heavily in the shepherding gift, mm-hmm. which empathy is a big part of that. At times, that's very hard because I feel like it's a very misunderstood and undervalued gift. Mm-hmm. We really value, for example, the gift of teaching. In fact, that's what we look for most in our pastors, right? right. Is they need to give me information I have not gotten before. And that is important. Or uh, an apostolic gift, right? The like They need to inspire me mm-hmm. to move, right? And those are important. But the shepherding gift is that long journeying. It's that seeing Mm -hmm. that others might not be able to see. That's something that I've noticed within me all my life. Even before I recognized it, I can look back and see, oh, wow, that was a part of how I function. Put another way, you know, what you described is a very hard situation. You were describing a mass shooter Mm -hmm. who has done something objectively awful. Mm -hmm. And then you are talking about seeing them with a level of grace. And there are people that will absolutely resist that because for them, that person has lost the right Right. to grace, to love, to understanding, because they have done something horrendous. Unforgivable. Right. Mm -hmm. It is a hard thing. Like even when you were describing it, I think you described it well, but even in that, I was like, I could see she's walking the tension because some of it you can't really express in words because when God's given you the ability to see people in a certain way, someone else can see it as you're just brushing off what they did or justifying or explaining away or just letting them off, right? Mm -hmm. Like that's not what we're saying. What we're saying is we have all been created in the image of God. We're all children of God Mm -hmm. and God created us with something in mind. We are fearfully and wonderfully made Mm -hmm. and he did not create us to be mass murderers. So there is something that has come in and taken this beautiful design Mm -hmm. and just scratched at it, stabbed at it, dragged it through the mud. Mm -hmm. Not because the person wanted their original design to be destroyed and slashed, but because we live, as we talked about before, in a broken world where there is trouble and we are broken people. And the shepherding gift, empathy, allows us to stop our normal logical approach and say, but what deeper thing is going on here? And it's so important because when a person is at their worst, they are still someone created in the image of God and they are still being invited back to that original design. Mm -hmm. But we were not designed to do that by ourselves. Like that's the thing you said earlier is in your hardest moments, you've had to realize I need God, (laughs) right? Mm -hmm. But in our proudest moments, we are self-sufficient. I've got this. I'm resourceful. (laughs) I can, right? Maybe we do have certain strengths and capacities, but at the end of the day, God wants us to know it's not that he wants us to need him. It's that he wants us to be with him. Mm -hmm. But in and of ourselves, we constantly don't choose him. And so now we live in this world where there are people that have been bullied or that have wrestled with disability and illness or that have wrestled with trauma or that have a mental health issue that is impacting even how they think without them realizing it. Or, and right, we could keep the list going, Mm -hmm. a loss, a tragedy, and it impacts their next thought, their next step, 
And maybe they don't have community around them. Maybe they don't have healthy spaces to process and share, as you mentioned. And so it continues to alter the thoughts and the steps until time passes and they find themselves operating in ways, thinking in ways, doing things that they never would have thought they would have done. Right. Or they find themselves falling into places of hopelessness that they never thought they would have fallen. Mm -hmm. And someone could look at it from the outside and blame the person. Mm -hmm well, you're just too hard on yourself or you're just too negative. You just need to be happier or you just need to stop doing this. You just need to stop being addicted. You just need to, you just need to. And maybe sometimes it's not about what the person needs to do, but what God is inviting us as people to do in community. So what does that evoke in you? Well, it brings into my mind, you know, the tools. We haven't taught people that there are tools. A lot of people with anger and violence don't have the words to articulate their feelings. Those of us who journal, I don't journal, but because I write so much, you know, I've written 15 books. That is my form of journaling to get it all out. You know, through my characters in fiction, I get to live an accessible life vicariously through them. I give them obstacles and things that they get to overcome and triumph. And that is encouraging to me. I read my own work thinking, who wrote this, first of all, because I know God's with me writing it. Uh Just crazy amazed by the sheer volume of the word count. But I have so many words in me and sometimes other people do not. Mm. So in order to help people is processing, you know, their emotions. That's really what is lacking in so many people that, you know, snap and do these things. They had a trauma to themselves, even in one of the kids that did something so awful, their mother died, you know, and I know, and people die every day, but he didn't probably listen to, you know, Tracy's wonderful podcast with you here and say, (laughs) I'm not exempt from my mother dying. I'm not exempt from something happening to me. I can choose to get help and deal with it. And there might've been so few options. And then in other circumstances, there is a cry for help. And those in the support circles lack the empathy to get help. They just ignored it or just said, hey, let's, you know, let's just go out to the movie. Would you like that? Okay, that took my mind off it for two hours, you know, three if you watch the Titanic. But, you know, it's just that that isn't enough. You know, you're still kind of ignoring what people are crying out for. Mm -hmm. And that's really also equally dangerous and equally ignorant. You're taking something that could fester into something unbelievable and kind of sweeping it under the rug. So that's what I think is that so many people that have trauma and have things that they can't deal with lack the tools. And the other thing for me about disability is that we don't recognize sometimes that things are Mm re-traumatizing. There's like a recurrence We talk about God giving new mercies every day. Every day I have to wake up and I'm disabled and I need to deal with that and kind of get going and keep moving. You know, nobody thinks that about me or any other person with a disability. They just think you've accepted it and you're doing so well. You look so great. You're so productive. Mm. Like every morning I have to make a conscious effort that I'm going to move forward. It's almost like a surprise. You know, people would think it's not a surprise because you've been doing this for like 44 years. It's not a surprise, but it is a re-knowledge. It's a muscle memory that I have to keep reminding myself. 
you got through yesterday with this issue, you're going to get through the day. But I have to give myself a pep talk sometimes. Yeah. And people need to give themselves pep talks sometimes in order to really order your day. You know, and speaking of, a, I wanted to go back to something else you said is that of all the personality tests I've taken, you know, we do Myers-Briggs in, you know, high school. And then I did it in a leadership course that I took later in life. People should be taking the spiritual gifts course, which is also a wonderful thing to kind of really, I like that so much better. And I felt like that was a better, more accurate diagnosis of where I shine. Mm -hmm. I got Ministry of Helps, which would be understandable because of the encouragement through the books and just talking and teaching. And then also administration Mm -hmm. was another gift. And like, I want to take it again, like every year I get excited (laughs) about it because I actually forgot one of my gifts. But anyway, so I think that that is also, you know, just offering a resource, something that people should just take or just try better than Myers-Briggs, better than the color code. There's so many personality tests. They're good, I think, at getting to the heart of who you are and what you would like to do with yourself. But there's also, to me, spiritual gifts is God-given, mm-hmm. right? And so people should try to find that out and then try to uncover that and shine in those categories. If they fit, if they feel like they fit and they feel like it's the right, accurate thing that they've come out with, then look for those. Look for those ways yeah. to, to be helpful. Yeah. It makes me think of the call to love God and love others. And so for the love God piece, what you've described is a way to show love to God because it's basically saying, hey, God, you designed me in a certain way. Mm -hmm. And instead of continuing to ignore that, (laughs) maybe I should just stop and say, all right, God, what is it that you put within me? What is it that you're inviting me to? And there's such value. And I agree with you, such life. When you do come across these things, It brings a clarity that suddenly certain things make sense about your life. Certain things make sense about the direction that you're heading or that you could head. And it shapes how you operate. And so when I learned about the shepherding gift and when I realized, oh, wow, like I can see that it shaped a lot of how I moved forward in a really beautiful way. Now, one thing I will say that is a trap in that that people fall into Mm -hmm. is We want so much to control things that we also want to control our identity and lock it in because the more we know, the less we don't know. And when you don't know something, that's uncontrollable stuff. So what will happen is we'll find out our gifts and then we'll say, these are my gifts. Those aren't my gifts. And people do that with the APEST gifts, right? Well, I'm a teacher, but I'm not a shepherd. So And pastors will sometimes feel like this. Yeah, I'm good at the preaching in the sense of giving the information. But like, man, when someone wants to talk to me, I can't. So I'm going to pass that on to someone else Mm -hmm. that's better gifted at that. In a way, there is value in bringing in others who carry those gifts. But the thing that I want to point out is that those gifts don't exist in the sense that you only have one and that's it. Those gifts exist in the sense that God equips us in a very unique way so that we can equip others to live that out. Mm -hmm. So you and I, having been given a sense of empathy in a hefty way, aren't meant to do all the empathy in the world. Right, right. (laughs) We're meant to demonstrate, to live it out so that somebody can see, wow, like Tracy stayed at the table with that person for a lot longer than I would have. I wonder how she did that. And then one of the things you end up saying is, Well, the secret is God. (laughs) It's not me because I was frustrated that day, but God worked through me, right? And then suddenly that person now feels like, well, maybe I can be empathetic. And this is one of the big things that I feel like is so missing right now is our capacity to see each other Mm -hmm. and empathize. 
Another thing that came to my mind as you were sharing earlier, when you were talking about the mass shooter, it reminded me of, we live in a neighborhood where there is a high level of poverty, high level of violence. Mm -hmm. And a lot of that violence, and it breaks my heart, involves teens. Mm -hmm. And just two years ago, right outside our window, basically, a 15-year-old was shot. The most shots I've ever heard. I've heard a lot of gunshots, but the most rapid shots. Mm -hmm. And he was killed by other teens. Yeah. My initial thought, I used to, I've, I've worked with a lot of youth in the community. My initial thought now, because of those relationships, is was no longer, oh, that was a horrible thing that that person did. It was I hope one of my teens wasn't involved. Right, <laughs> I right. hope that one of the families I walk with wasn't involved. So that's a little bonus thing. Relationship mm-hmm. can help to cultivate empathy because if we're not in relationship with people who are different than us, people that are going through things, then we're going to put our own like broad sweeps on them. But when you're in relationship with someone, you learn the nuances, you see their heart and you can have empathy where you might not have otherwise. That's a bonus. But <laughs> so it broke my heart that this teen was killed by teens. Right. What broke my heart even more is seeing the comments that came on the news posts afterwards. Right. Because there is such vilifying happening. Mm-hmm. And so I resonated with your story of the mass shooter because, yes, these teens murdered another teen. Right. And that is horrible. These teens chose to have guns. Mm-hmm. These teens, like, were, you know, out at 1 a.m., doing yeah. whatever, right? Like, yeah. sure. Yes, all of these things, those things are true, Mm -hmm. but they were tearing down this teen. And all I could think was they're 12, 13, 14, 15, their brains are not developed. So here you are with your 40 year old brain Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. trying to tell a 15 year old brain how to think. 15 year old brains don't know how to think fully yet. The brain is literally still developing. Mm -hmm. So that in and of itself is something we got to sit with. But then you add on to that, the trauma of living in a neighborhood where there is high levels of poverty, where there are struggles in the school system, where all the, like now you've got all these other factors. So while I'm sitting here, my heart's breaking for this child made in the image of God Mm -hmm. who I don't know his story and the story of the other teens, but things happened to lead them to that moment. They were not evil, but there were things that happened to lead them to this point. Mm -hmm. Other people were looking at them as evil. And we're doing that now, right? Like all over the world, but especially in America, there's a lot of Christians, Mm -hmm. Christ followers, looking at people and deciding that they're evil. Right. So here's my question. Mm -hmm. So what we're saying here is empathy is important. That yes, some people are equipped with more capacity for empathy. Mm -hmm. We're also saying that empathy is lacking, but we're also saying that God's calling all of us to empathy. Mm -hmm. So what would you say to the person who right now by default is just thinking they don't have the gift for empathy, they don't have the skills for empathy? What would you say is a way that they could take a step towards empathy or they could even believe that they're capable of empathy? Yeah, that's a hard one. But I will say the first thing that came to me was to see and think about somebody that you love their face over the person that you're looking at. Mm. Like if every parent could see that every other person is somebody's child, I feel like that already evokes, you know, I'm not asking you to be a mother to them, but you could you could somehow bring them into your fold and give them the love and, you know, the time that you would give your own people. 
if the mass shooter who lost their mother could see that all of those other kids would someday be wonderful mothers and fathers Mm. and, you know, just someone that they really loved. You know, I'm not asking you to love them, but I'm asking you to look at them with a different frame and think about what they represent for another family. And that could help you move towards at least humanizing them more. Mm -hmm. You know, the reason why it might be so easy to kill people, I don't know. I don't know why it's so easy, but there's some kind of devaluation inside that says you're nobody, you mean nothing, and I can snuff out your life in the blink of an eye because you don't mean anything to me. Mm -hmm. So even if they don't mean something to you personally, can you look at them as a symbol? They mean something to someone else. Okay. And how would you feel if that was your person? What if somebody looked at them and and took their life? Like, how would you feel? And that's probably what happened sometimes. Their foundation is gone. So they often also feel like they have nothing to lose. Mm -hmm. When we relate to one another, we have to look deeper and we have to even maybe play these psychological games where we put... I don't know, Patrick Swayze's face on Whoopi Goldberg's body, you know, and Ghost. Mm. Like we have to kind of relate to each other like you have value and you are that person and your life matters. Even though I'm having trouble reconciling my own, that's what the person is saying. I can't reconcile the things that are happening around me. So I'm going to go out and do these things. We have to really humanize each other and pretend that we are symbols of something someone really cares about. Yeah. And that will hopefully stop us from doing that. We have to operate more in that way. This is somebody's mother. This is somebody's father, sister, brother, cousin, nephew. Even if they have no one and you know that they don't have anybody, somebody, or they even have a chance, you know, realize someday that they'll have an opportunity to have love and to bear children. And maybe that will help you develop more empathy to them. And, you know, even as you're talking, it makes me think that Somebody could listen to that and still wrestle with that idea because they're playing it out in their mind of, well, does the person deserve it? Or what if they do it again? Or, okay, in this one instance, right? I think what's happening here is many people actually diminish and underestimate what empathy really is. Because in their minds, empathy is a they're there pat on the shoulder or I understand it's okay. But the reality is, is that empathy is actually far bigger than that because One thing that true empathy does is it doesn't stop at that moment. Mm -hmm. See, we're very good at being reactive in these kind of moments. A mass shooting happens and all the dialogue is reactive. And that's why it can't really get anywhere because we're responding to just this moment that happened. Mm -hmm. And what you've been trying to do this whole conversation is say, hold on, hold on, hold on. Yes, that was bad. We need to look back as well. And the piece that people won't do if they don't do that is then look forward because When you have true empathy, when God equips you to be truly empathetic with a person, yes, there may be value in that moment for that person and for you. But the other thing that it does is it now gives you eyes to see someone else who is starting to walk in that direction. That's right. And the empathy of seeing somebody in that hard place now equips you to walk alongside someone else to protect them from going to that hard place. And so 
people got so livid with these teenagers and their response was to crack down, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. But if we don't acknowledge that these are kids who factors led them to this moment and they're not evil villains, then we're not going to ask the more important questions of what do we need to put in place That's right. to protect other kids from falling into these same like cycles or these same traps or these places of desperation. Like how do we begin to see other teens as made in the image of God so that we can come inside and show love like you were describing? And this is another part of your story because you are a disability advocate. Mm -hmm. Not only are you walking alongside people and caring for them in their space and encouraging them, you're also saying, yes, there is also some real issues here. Mm -hmm. Like you mentioned in your profile that you had to really fight to get a specially equipped uh, vehicle yes. that you could, a modified vehicle so that you could drive it because those are not easy to come by, right? Mm -hmm. And so part of your empathy is knowing what you've been through, knowing what others have gone through. You are now using what you can to change mm -hmm. things so that someone doesn't have to find themselves in a hard place. Right, right. And the other thing that happened with the counselor that I had to get the vehicle modifications, it was up to him to approve or not approve the funding. Mm. And so I already know he looked at me is, you know, maybe someone that wasn't worthy mm. of my independence. You know, one of his things to me at that time was, you know, your disability kind of makes you weaker over time. Are you going to be able to operate this if we invest in you? Mm -hmm. That's really what it was about. Investing in me, could I live long enough to use this equipment? And, you know, and the thing is, even if I couldn't, it could be given to someone else. Mm -hmm. You know, that isn't our job to go around, you know, picking up who's worthy and who's not worthy. Our job is to empower other people to get to the things that they need to do and to help them get those things and to approve, you know, and to green light things. He really held the strings on everything. And you know what? I was able to get rid of him. And that's part of the story. And the encouragement is that I should have asked for another counselor sooner. Mm -hmm. Someone who did have empathy. I didn't know that at the time. I was thinking about somebody who approved this application. But by telling the story and by sharing an assembly, it's that someone could else could have a roadblock like that, ask for another counselor sooner than my like seven denials that I went through. Mm -hmm. Time wasted, even time getting weaker by not driving and not being able to go out every day because all of the things that I do every day helps keeps my muscles engaged. Yeah. And if I don't have transportation and I'm not driving, I'm not moving around muscles. I'm not turning my head to look and see who's coming. I'm not keeping those things going. Mm -hmm. You're either causing further detriment by not helping me get at least one other tool and the fact that other people before me have been able to get those things because of you know race yeah. and maybe socioeconomic and my appearance. You know, So there were some prejudice factors there too. Yeah. And then the other last thing is just that those weren't the counselor's resources. There's a projection that we're digging into the pocket of those who make the decisions when there are monies set aside to grant the request already. Mm -hmm. But you have decided that you want to personally keep me from it or any other person with disability or any person of color, anything, anything that you don't like about that person or that causes you to have a barrier to really seeing them as a human who has needs. 
So all of a sudden it's your money in your pocket. And that's also not the way, you know, but I also want to just add toward the end of this, what does empathy cost each of us? Mm. I think that that is a question people need to examine. I'm actually even doing a workshop on this for a leadership group next month. It was supposed to be today, but it got postponed because of the weather. This is a mini version of it then. (laughs) Yeah. So what does empathy cost you? And if you can't pay the cost, that is probably the real barrier. You know, and cost is not about money. It's about vulnerability. Mm -hmm. Maybe you have to change and you don't want to. There are just any number of reasons And, you know, I came up with this list, but I just think that the reason why we aren't a certain way, the reason why we don't act a certain way is because there is a price to be paid Mm -hmm. and we don't want to pay that. Yeah. You know, even humbling yourself is a price. Mm -hmm. Letting go of your machismo sometimes is a price. Mm -hmm. All of these things. And so if you're not willing to pay the cost, it won't ever change. We won't change. It won't happen. Yeah. I love that you said that because... If you hadn't said that, that was actually in a different way where I was heading. Because as you were talking about this counselor, the thought that came to my mind is we may sometimes be in a place where we just assume that we are not empathetic. But what if the issue isn't that we lack empathy, but that something else is guiding our thoughts? So you talked about one end of it Mm -hmm. is consciously or subconsciously, we realize what it will cost us. Mm -hmm. Another way of looking at it is there are things that consciously or subconsciously we're trying to hold on to. Mm -hmm. Money is a great example. This is going to cost me money Mm -hmm. or I value money. And so I need to make the most financially wise decision. Another example is maybe this wasn't a mean counselor, but he held very tight to his logic Mm -hmm. and he was thinking through, well, this money would be better spent on somebody who is like you mentioned younger or in this situation, that situation. So Mm -hmm. It would be wiser for this person and this person would lose out if I gave the money to Tracy and right. But there are moments in our lives where we forego empathy because we are afraid of losing something or we are trying to hold to something. Mm -hmm. Meanwhile, for Christians, we claim to follow this guy who said, I want you to die to everything. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And And to not be afraid of death to not be afraid of loss. So he has already given us the invitation to combat that, Mm -hmm. but daily we struggle. And here's the good news is it's okay that we struggle because we are all on journey. We are all imperfect. Mm -hmm. We all, like you mentioned, still wake up in the morning realizing that there is something about us that's keeping us from being the perfect version of ourselves And we have to make the decision, are we going to still wake up and go through the day? As you were sharing that story, it made me think of Paul and the thorn in the flesh, because in his mind, if that thorn in the flesh, if that disability, whether it was physical, internal, external, if that was just gone, I would be a much better missionary and could do so much more for God. And God's like, no, I'm going to keep it (laughs) because (laughs) it's going to protect you from pride. And in your weakness, you will see my strength. We all have thorns in our flesh and we all have the daily invitation to do like you, to wake up in the morning and say, all right, God, I'm going to keep on going. And then to be kind of surprised, I kept on going. All right, here we go. (laughs) So everyone is invited to empathy. I think that's the bottom line. And this is what I'll say before we start to wrap up. We did not plan to talk about empathy. But it very clearly became the focus. And what affirms it for me is to find out 
that you were supposed to be talking about empathy today <laughs> in a different yeah, context. Yes. And yes. God has a sense of humor. So I want to mention that because if someone is listening to this, God is trying to say something about empathy. So are we listening? So I always like to ask two questions as we close out. Mm -hmm. They're simple questions. And the first one is if somebody wanted to check out these books that you've written, connect with you in some way, what are the best ways to do that? Yeah, the best way is just to visit my website at tracygarner.com. Tracy is T-R-A-C-E-E, Garner, G-A-R-N-E-R.com. And I'm on Facebook. I'm on Twitter a little bit, but I love Instagram so much more. Mm. I'm on Instagram and people can direct message me any way they would like to get in touch. And there's also a contact me page on tracygarner.com. Great. And what's the name of the book that just came out this year? Yeah, the name of the book that just came out January 7th is called Disability, A Field Guide for the Rest of Us. I love it. And then my last question is, is there anything on your heart that God's prompting you to share before we go? Just that, you know, empathy is not about pity. A lot of people get empathy mixed up with sympathy. We don't need more sympathy, more pity. What we need is to be heard. And when I say we, I'm talking about people with disabilities, but really everybody, every group is to be heard and to have a level of understanding that can empower us to, you know, live life as best we can with the right supports, with the right systems. And so that is something I really want to make clear is to not to confuse empathy with sympathy and pity. You will walk, you will run, dance through the streets, shouting praise to the one. You're healed, you're clean. Go out, tell the people what you've seen. Revived in him, new life in him. Empathy is a word that's tossed around a lot and sometimes we don't understand it. But if we claim to be Christ followers, we might want to get a better idea of what this means because Jesus was empathetic. Jesus understood those he engaged with. He knew how to share in their feelings in a way that reflected who God was and who he made them to be. After all, we have passages like mourn with those who mourn. And when we look at Jesus's life, we see stories where he was able to engage with people that others had neglected, others misunderstood, Others avoided. When the disciples saw Bartimaeus on the side of the road yelling out to Jesus, their response was anger. And some of them may have been justified in that anger. Maybe they had experienced Bartimaeus yelling many times before, and they had already told him to quiet down. But when Jesus engaged Bartimaeus, he had empathy. He understood why Bartimaeus was yelling. He understood the pain that Bartimaeus was feeling, and he met him in that place. When Jesus engaged the woman at the well, she assumed that Jesus would dismiss her because everyone else did, and she felt like she deserved it. But Jesus understood her. He knew what she was experiencing, and he knew how to speak to her with truth and love. Really, I think this is the thing that we need to name here. Some of us are afraid of engaging empathy because of the cost, or because it's confusing, or because it feels unfair. And let's be honest, sometimes empathy is hard. Sometimes empathy may seem impossible, but through God, all things are possible. And if Jesus demonstrated empathy, and if we want to be Christ followers, then maybe we need to rely less on our own capacity for empathy and instead rely on his capacity for empathy. What could it look like if we allowed Jesus to show empathy through us? 
How might our capacity to see and understand others change? How might that impact our ability to love those that we might not have been able to love in and of ourselves? I understand there are a lot of hard things about this invitation to empathy. Tracy and I talked at length about some of the challenges and risks. But what we know is this, God has called us to love him, but also to love others. God has called us to love our enemies. And Jesus in his lifetime loved everyone, including those who were persecuting him. Because he had empathy, he understood that they did not know what they were doing. The call to empathy is hard, but it is a call because it is a call to love. It is a call to see others as God sees them, not as we understand them. And when God's brand of empathy exists in our relationships, we are going to see abundantly more than we could have ever asked for or imagined. We are gonna be transformed. Others are gonna be transformed in ways that we couldn't have gotten to in and of ourselves. The invitation to empathy doesn't start tomorrow, it starts today. It starts in your existing relationships and in the many paths you'll cross moving forward. You don't have to muster empathy yourself. You simply need to invite God to show empathy through you. So in your interactions today, tomorrow, and through the week, invite that empathy and then ask yourself, where did you see God? Have you ever wanted to read Revelation but haven't known where to start? Or have you been afraid to read Revelation because of all the ways you've seen it misused? Or maybe you haven't even wanted to touch Revelation but feel like maybe you should since it's part of the Bible? Well, if you're in any of these positions or any other ones, I've got a resource for you. It's called A Journey Through Revelation for the person who doesn't want to read Revelation. And here's the thing. The hope for this resource is that it makes the exploration of who God is and what revelation can mean for you accessible, whatever you believe. And this will not be your normal revelation study. It's not going to dive into the historic representations of the imagery or expertly decipher the prophecies. The goal of this is not to tell you what revelation means. It's to explore what it can mean for you. Now, this thing is available for you right now in a few forms. One, you could go to www.wheredidyouseegod.com revelation, and you can find a PDF for free, which you can read on your phone, on your device, or print out. But if you like something that's a little nicer looking, it is also available through Amazon on Kindle and in paperback form. And I prefer paperback, whether you print it or you get the one on Amazon, because this gives you a place to write some things out because you're going to want a place to write things out. Because I really do believe that God wants to speak to you through Revelation, whatever you feel about Revelation, whatever your experience and whatever you think about God. So if you're interested, get it for free, get it for a very, very, very low price. This is not about making money, but about us together exploring how we can see God in the midst of such a difficult and controversial book. Thank you so much for taking the time to listen to the Where Did You See God podcast. And I would love for your stories to be a part of it as well. So there are a number of ways that you can do that. You can check out our Facebook page at Where Did You See God podcast. You can go to anchor.fm slash Where Did You See God, or you can leave a brief voice message at 804-372-3836. I would love to hear your stories. And if the stories you've heard have encouraged you, uh, think of someone else who could be encouraged as well and share it with them. The music you've been listening to is You'll Walk, You'll Run by Urban Doxology. They are a solid group and you will love listening to the rest of the music. So check them out. And as always, as you go through your day, 
ask yourself, where did you see God?